Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. I've got a problem. There are aspects of my personality that I can't control. See a shrink. It's a little bit more complicated than that. Bruce, trust me when I tell you I've heard them all. Not this one. We've never seen anything even close to your levels of exposure. That you survived an event like that, it's beyond my comprehension. I don't want to control it. I want to get rid of it. As far as I'm concerned, that man's whole body is property of the U.S. Army. They want it as a weapon. If we let it go, we will never get it back. There's only one thing that can fight that, it's in me. Maybe if I can control it, I can use it. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie The Incredible Hulk from 2008. The studio was Marvel Studios, but released through Universal Pictures. The release date was June 13, 2008, with a running time of 112 minutes. The rating, PG-13, and the budget was $150 million, and the box office took in $135 million, making it the 17th-ranked movie of 2008. Now, that was domestic gross... Uh, Iron Man was number two, and The Incredible Hulk actually remains the lowest grossing film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, despite making over $200 million globally. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 67% fresh from 231 reviews. Their critics' consensus is, The Incredible Hulk may not be quite the smashing success that fans of Marvel's raging behemoth might hope for, but it offers more than enough big green action to make up for its occasionally puny narrative. Roger Ebert at the time gave it two and a half out of four stars, and here's his review. The Incredible Hulk is no doubt an ideal vision of the Hulk saga for those who found Ang Lee's Hulk from 2003 too talky, or dare I say too thoughtful. But not for me. It sidesteps the intriguing aspects of Hulkdom and spends way too much time in, dare I say, noisy and mindless action sequences. By the time The Incredible Hulk had completed his Hulk on Hulk showdown with The Incredible Blonsky, I had been using my Timex with the illuminated dial way too often. Consider the dilemma of creating a story about the Hulk, who is one of the lesser creatures in the Marvel comic stable. You're dealing with two different characters, 
Mild-mannered scientist Dr. Bruce Banner and the rampaging destructive Hulk who goes into frenzies of aggression whenever he's annoyed, which is frequently, because the army is usually unloading automatic weapons into him. There is even the interesting question of whether Dr. Banner is really conscious inside the Hulk. In the Ang Lee version, he was more or less, and confessed to Betty Ross, when it happens, when it comes over me, when I lose total control, I like it. In this version by Louis Leterre, the best Banner can come up with is that being the Hulk is like a hyperthyroid acid trip, and all he can remember are fragments of moments. It's obvious that the real story is the tragedy that Banner faces because of the Hulk-inducing substance in his blood. But if Banner never turned into the Hulk, nobody would ever make a movie about him. And if the Hulk were never Banner, he would be like Godzilla, who tears things up real good, but is otherwise, dare I say, one-dimensional. The Ang Lee version was rather brilliant in the way that it turned the Hulk story into matching sets of parent-child conflicts. Betty Ross was appalled by her father, the General, and Bruce Banner suffered at the hands of his father, a scientist who originally created the Hulk genes and passed them along to his child. In the new version, Betty, played by Liv Tyler, still has problems with her father, the General, played by William Hurt. She's appalled by his plans to harness the Hulk formula and create a race of super soldiers. In both films, Banner and Ross are in love, but don't act on it because the Hulk business complicates things way too much. Although I admit there's a clever moment in Hulk 2008 when Bruce interrupts his big chance to make love with Betty because when he gets too excited, he turns into the Hulk, and Betty is a brave girl, but not that good of a sport. <laughs> Consider for a moment General Ross's idea of turning out Hulk soldiers. They would be a drill sergeant's worst nightmare. When they weren't hulks, why bother to train them? You'd only be using them in the fullness of their hulkdom, and then how would you train them? Would you just drop thousands of Ed Nortons into enemy territory and count on them getting so excited by the free fall that they become hulks? And by the way, this transformation actually happens in the Hulk. <laughs> when you get down to it, as a fictional character, the Incredible Hulk is as limited as a bad drunk. He may be fun to be around when he's sober, but when he drinks too much, you just feel sorry for the guy. And that's the end of Ebert's review. So I did see the 2003 Ang Lee version in the theaters when it was first released, and it was the last time I saw it, and I do remember it being overly talky, like Ebert mentioned. And it was the reason why, five years later, I didn't bother to see the new version in theaters. Also, at the time, I didn't realize that all of these Marvel movies that were being released were connected. So meaning, I was all in for Iron Man that came out a few months prior, but not the Hulk. And if I had known of the potential connection, I might have been more enthused. Eventually, when I saw this and it was released on DVD, I was kind of pleasantly surprised. Okay, let's get into the main cast. Of course, you have Edward Norton, who plays Bruce Banner. And getting a well-respected actor like Norton to be in a superhero film was a huge get for Marvel, just like getting Robert Downey Jr. and Jeff Bridges for Iron Man. Now, with getting a great actor like Norton, this can be complicated, and there were issues with him that I will cover later in the episode. And this meant that this would be the only film for Edward Norton in the Banner role, which actually is a shame in my opinion. Some memorable films for Ed Norton up to this point included Primal Fear, The People vs. Larry Flint, American History X, of course Fight Club, Red Dragon, and The Illusionist. Liv Tyler plays Betty Ross. Tyler is, of course, the daughter of Aerosmith frontman Steven Tyler. And her big break came from that family connection because she appeared in multiple music videos for the Get a Grip album from Aerosmith in the mid-90s, which were very popular with Alicia Silverstone. Her notable films up to the Hulk included Empire Records, which we covered, That Thing You Do, Armageddon, and the Lord of the Rings trilogy. 
Tim Roth plays Emil Blonsky, and like Norton, Roth is a very well-respected actor and a great choice to play the main villain. Roth's career started in the early 1980s in England, where they had their own version of the American Brat Pack, but this time British, with Roth, Gary Oldman, Colin Firth, Daniel Day-Lewis, Bruce Payne, and Paul McGann. The Brit Pack. Most American audiences were introduced to Roth from Quentin Tarantino's film Reservoir Dogs, where he played Mr. Orange, and then a few years later, he was in Pulp Fiction as part of the couple that hold up the restaurant. William Hurt plays General Ross, another stellar actor with a great body of work prior to this film. Hurt's career started in the late 1970s, with his big break coming in 1981 with Body Heat with Kathleen Turner. He was in a number of well-regarded films in the 80s like The Big Chill and Gorky Park, Kiss of the Spider Woman, Children of a Lesser God, Broadcast News, and The Accidental Tours, and the director Louis Leterre. The French director was early in his career at this point, with his best-known films being The Transporter, and then the subsequent sequel with Jason Statham, and then the film Unleashed with Jet Li and Morgan Freeman. Alright, let's get into the making of the film. Kevin Feige didn't completely disregard the 2008 Ang Lee version, which covered specifically the internal angst that Bruce Banner felt. However, in the 2008 version, they wanted to get a broader story picture as it related to the comics, kind of what more fun and action, which is what the audiences really wanted. So the director, Louis Leterre, initially passed on the chance to direct the film because he thought it was just going to be a sequel of the 2003 version rather than a reboot. He went back to his home in Paris and came up with his own concept drawings and storyboards of his version of the Hulk. The producers loved his ideas and the creative use of action through storytelling, and he wanted to see the Hulk around people in a big city rather than being secluded. So the producers were drawn to Edward Norton as the lead character because of the depth of his performances from his past films. Norton was initially hesitant to do the film because he was such a big fan of the comic, and he felt at this point in time it was very difficult for the films to get comic adaptations correct. Norton really liked Latouré and his vision of the movie and how he handled actors, which eventually led him to accepting the role of Bruce Banner. Norton also felt he was going to be able to bring his own vision of the character into the film, and this would later be the reason he was likely not brought back to revise his role in future films. One of the key things early on in the Marvel Cinematic Universe films was the ability of Marvel to get the best and top-named actors as possible to appear in these films, and the Hulk is chock-full of them. You know, Liv Tyler looked very much the part of Betty Ross as portrayed in the comic, and she was able to view the Hulk as Bruce Banner and not as a monster. Now, the original character of Emil Blonsky was a Russian spy on the comic book. However, with the Cold War well over by 2008, they decided to revise the character to be for more modern times. And Latouré had met with Tim Roth before the film started shooting, and Roth really wanted to play the villain. It intrigued him. And once Roth heard about a more modern revision of the character, he was all in. Now, William Hurt was a major get, just like getting Jeff Bridges for the first Iron Man film. It's really smart to get older big-name actors, because they kind of add weight to these films because they're known for their amazing past works. And William Hurt was just terrific for General Ross, as he can play any type of role, because he's just such a great actor. Now, the huge fight scene in New York was actually filmed in Toronto, and they were allowed to block off one of the main streets because the mayor was such a big Hulk fan. And this was not a small and easy scene to film in one night, but they did. The producers liked that in the comic, and even the TV show, the Hulk was never bogged down in one location. He was always going around the world, and this freedom made it easier to have different locations for this film. They really did shoot in Rio, Brazil, and during the rainy season, which also made shooting very challenging. 
For the design of the actual Hulk, Latouré really wanted him to look more human than ever before, meaning you could see the veins and the lifelike skin and things like that. But also balance the comic book origin, because you can't be radically different and alienate fans who have a perception of how he actually looks. Now, in the 1970s TV show, the Hulk was as big as the actor Lou Ferrigno, which was six foot five. In the Ang Lee version, Hulk was roughly around 15 feet tall. In the 2008 version, they settled on nine feet tall, which is roughly how big he was in the comics. Now, hairstyle-wise, they gave him longer hair, which kind of fit Norton's hairstyle better. Latore didn't want him to look like a bodybuilder. He had to be superhuman, but also agile. The other cool part of the film is that even though the Hulk is done through CGI, there is a way for Norton's physical facial movements and expressions to be filmed so that the Hulk does actually look and act like how Edward Norton would play him if he actually turned into the Hulk. So this is done by filming Norton's face while he had a green screen facial makeup paste on him. In the past, with motion capture, it was achieved through video dots, and the current process was much more covered with the facial makeup, and that led to more authenticity in the facial movements. The key to the film is to have the villain that can match up to the Hulk, of course, because just having a human army trained to fight the Hulk won't work for an entire film. But with the Abomination, then you have a creature that can compete with the Hulk. And the Abomination is 11 feet tall and has a skeletal structure on the outside because he's really true to his name. All right, let's get into the film. This is the second movie, as I said, for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Of course, the first one was Iron Man. Also, you know, if you listen to most of my episodes, I have a lot of movie clips because it just kind of adds some some fun and kind of breaks up the monotony from just hearing me talk. Uh, but there aren't a lot of clips in this episode because most of the, ac- most of the film is action-based. It doesn't really translate to audio, so you get what you get. The movie begins with a montage, almost like an old-school intro from the 70s from TV shows like The Six Million Dollar Man or The Bionic Woman. In this opening montage, they pretty much tell the backstory of how Bruce Banner became the Incredible Hulk from a botched scientific experiment. Now, I thought this was actually a brilliant way of doing this because the problem with most origin stories in movies is the amount of time spent re-explaining what people pretty much already know. And this wasn't the original plan to do this montage. The director had planned on doing a fully fleshed out backstory, but the test audience thought it was like a sequel to the Ang Lee version, which everyone wanted to avoid. So they brilliantly came up with the opening montage, and again, it just works perfectly. Plus, it's a nod to the TV show from the 70s, which did a similar thing in the opening credits. So we get the initial backstory out of the way in just five minutes, which is when the experiment went wrong. Bruce Banner is on the run from General Ross, of course, played by William Hurt. And though he's in love with his daughter, Betty Ross, as you guys know this story, General Ross wants to capture Banner knowing he had a weapon in the Hulk. And Banner's been on the run for about five years and has gone 158 days without turning into the Hulk. He is now hiding out in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Now, there's another fun nod to the 70s TV show as an old show with Bill Bixby appears while Banner is watching TV. It's the courtship of Evity's father. And Banner is learning how to speak Portuguese by watching television. And in this case, he's watching Sesame Street. And if you know our longtime and one of our favorite guests, Danielle, who's originally from Rio, when she first came to the United States, she actually learned to speak English by watching Seinfeld. So watching television definitely is a good way to learn a new language. Banner is also learning how to control his emotions through breathing exercises and martial arts, which teaches discipline. Banner works in a bottling factory, 
and he accidentally cuts his finger while helping to fix the assembly line, and then his radioactive blood just happens to land in one of the bottles containing the drinks they manufacture. It is a movie, after all. Banner thinks he's dodged a bullet because he thinks he found one drop that didn't land in the bottle, but he didn't see the one that did. And of course, the drink that they bottle is the color green. So one of the great things about the modern Marvel films is the use of humor. For example, Banner gets into a fight when trying to help out one of his female co-workers who is getting harassed by a group of men. Now Banner's Portuguese isn't great yet and says, Don't make me hungry. You wouldn't like me when I'm hungry. <laughs> of course, hungry was supposed to mean angry. Banner continues to try to find ways to cure his radioactive gamma blood and talks to an anonymous source online in the United States that goes by the screen name Mr. Blue, and he's attempting to help him. And Banner's screen name is Mr. Green. What a shock. Now, the MCU did a wonderful thing by including Stan Lee cameos in every film, and this time it occurs early, as Stan Lee plays the man who drinks the soda <laughs> who happened to have the gamma blood from the bottling plant in Rio. General Oss finds out about this Gamma case and where the drink was bottled, and this means Banner is in danger of being found. General Ross puts together a special forces team led by Emil Blonsky, played by Tim Roth, and they're to capture Banner. And Blonsky's team goes on a lengthy chase of Banner throughout the town, which is well shot going through these tight quarters and rooftops called favelas. Now Banner, through this chase, has to be careful because an increased heart rate could force him to turn into the Incredible Hulk and he wears a watch that tracks his pulse. Banner is eventually chased into the bottling plant where he works, and he also runs into the same workers who were giving the woman a hard time the day before. They corner him and rough him up, which of course makes him turn into the Hulk. All the while, the U.S. Army guys are watching it unfold. And speaking of the bottling plant, this was a real factory, not in Brazil, but in Hamilton, Ontario, that was about to be torn down because it was so run down. However, they agreed to let them shoot the scenes before it was torn down about a week or so later. Of course, bullets and tranquilizer pellets do nothing to stop the Hulk, and you actually don't see him as much in this scene when he destroys the plant. And I think the filmmakers were trying to avoid oversaturating the film early with Hulk scenes, and you do get a close-up of the Hulk's face when he stares down Blonsky. Banner then escapes, and General Ross and the group head back to the U.S., the hiding of the Hulk until later in the film is definitely a nice nod to the classic monster movies of the 30s and the 40s, where you kind of tease the audience instead of just revealing early. And of course, there's nods to the original Alien film with Ridley Scott, with the bottling factory scenery. Banner finds himself in a jungle in Guatemala, and a man driving a jeep stops and gives him a ride. Eventually, Banner ends up in Mexico, barefoot and shirtless. He buys some clothes after a boy who thinks he's a beggar gives him some change. Back in the U.S., General Ross divulges that to Blonsky the classified experiments which caused Banner to transform into the Hulk. Banner's original project, or what he believed he was working on, was for radiation resistance. However, Ross always had an ulterior motive for his experiments, which of course was to weaponize whatever Banner created. Which, unfortunately, often happens with science. Something good used for potential mass destruction. Once Banner tested on himself, Ross then felt Banner was then property of the United States government, and that's why he's hell-bent on capturing Banner. Banner eventually makes it back to the U.S. and heads to Virginia, and specifically Culver University, where Betty Ross works. Banner sees Betty holding hands with a guy and dejectedly walks away, for now. And in another great nod to the original 70s TV show, Lou Ferrigno, who played the original Hulk, is the security guard at the college when Banner attempts to visit Betty while he's posing as a pizza delivery guy. 
We also get to see Martin Starr, who was on Freaks and Geeks in Silicon Valley, as one of the quote-unquote computer nerds in the lab. Banner returns to the pizza shop that his friend owns and just happens to be there the same time as Betty and her boyfriend arrive. Betty catches a glimpse of Banner and he rushes off. She eventually finds him hitchhiking down the road and they reunite. Betty thinks her father would be understanding and reasonable if Bruce turns himself in, but Banner knows that Ross just thinks of him as a weapon and there's no reasoning with him. Ross needs Banner's blood to turn other humans into unstoppable weapons. General Ross decides to give Blonsky a small dose of the gamma blood in order to stop Banner if he turns into the Hulk. Next, we get on to one of the more memorable scenes from the film when Banner and Betty are ambushed by General Ross on the field at Culver University. The army tries to tear gas Banner, and after he sees Betty get tackled by a soldier, he then, of course, turns into the Hulk, and it's game on. And these are really well-done action scenes. There's not so much going on that you lose focus. I think the problem with some of the later Marvel movies, especially the Avengers movies, is there's simply action overload, and you don't know who's fighting who. Now, Blonsky does have some acrobatic ability, and he added some running speed because of his gamma injection. However, he gets a bit too confident in the end and tries to approach the Hulk before being easily kicked across the field into a tree. Now, a fighter helicopter attempts to take out the Hulk, but doesn't realize that Betty is also in the line of fire. Hulk then protects Betty from getting killed. No thanks to her father, though. Now, Blonsky might have thought he was invincible with some gamma blood in him, but the Hulk essentially broke every bone in his body. In the meantime, Betty and Bruce are on the run after he turns back to human. And there's another brief humor scene as Betty buys Bruce some new clothes, with one item being a large set of stretch-fit purple pants, just like in the original comic. Along with a potential love scene where Bruce has to break it to Betty that he can't get too excited because if his heart rate gets above 200, it's Hulk time, as Ebert kind of mentioned. So we go back to Blonsky. The gamma blood, even in that original small dose, ended up healing his entire body. Betty and Bruce continue to go on the run in an attempt to meet up with Mr. Blue to try to find a blood cure. And they do find Mr. Blue, and Bruce decides it's time to try the experiment to cure himself, though there's a good chance it may kill him in the process. Take your hands off him. 
So while Bruce is on the way of potentially controlling the Hulk, Blonsky is slowly starting to turn into a monster, which will eventually morph into what is known as Abomination, which actually might be the greatest villain name ever. Banner is then captured by the army, and Blonsky forces Mr. Blue to give him more gamma blood, which will eventually turn him into a full-blown Abomination. And that's where I will leave you. So look, it's a comic book movie, so you kind of guess the outcome, but the final 30 minutes are terrific, and dare I say that the Norton-Roth matchup, actor-wise, is actually one of the best hero-villain duos of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Unfortunately, it gets forgotten because neither continue past this film. And yes, you do finally get a Hulk smash during the final fight scene. I think part of the reason the Hulk did the worst box office-wise compared to every other film in the MCU was because it was hurt by the Ang Lee version because that was released only five years earlier. Every other film, including Spider-Man, was pretty much a brand new film on its own and with a character that had never had a movie for them done before. And right before the credits starts, you do get a cameo from Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark who meets with General Ross in a bar. Years later, this seemed like a no-brainer, but at the time, comic book movies didn't really connect all of the various films together, which made these movies really special. Essentially, this is a very short teaser that has Stark mentioning that he's putting a little team together, which now we know is the Avengers. But at the time, these hints were just that, not realizing that all these clues would eventually come to fruition. And this makes rewatching these films even more fun. Now, as we are trained to do now, you're supposed to watch all the credits, even in non-superhero movies, because there might be a you know post-credit little quip. But for The Incredible Hulk, there's none. The teaser that I just mentioned came before the credits. All right, there are a lot of deleted scenes and they're on the Blu-ray, so you can check those out if you want to. There is an alternative opening. Uh, so instead of the montage, they're on a snowy road and a truck driver pulls up his rig to a secluded forest and drops off a man. And of course, that man is Bruce Banner. And he climbs up to the top of a snowy mountains and attempts to shoot himself with a gun. However, the Hulk takes over before he can do this and the mountain collapses really actually a dark opening and i think the montage that occurs in the real film is much better than this original opening as i mentioned there are a ton of deleted scenes over 35 minutes worth and i won't go through each one and i'll just give the title of each and they're pretty much self-explanatory from the title you have bruce in brazil bruce meditates searching for the flower this is part of the experiments to cure himself building the lab after the bottling factory bruce delivers pizza the computer lab bruce and stanley bruce meets leonard 
Bruce and Betty talk, dinner with Bruce, the orchid, Betty and Leonard, Bruce and Leonard at Leonard's house, Bruce's guilt, nature's mystery, motel room conversation, General Ross and General Greller, the pawn shop, on the Hulk hunt, Ross and Spar, and Leonard calls Betty. I'll play a few of the funnier deleted scenes like the pizza delivery scene. stand to check that out. Do you mind? Yes, I mind. Not to mention these pizzas, well, they took forever and now they're cold. Oops. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. You know what? You don't want to make me angry. You're not going to like me when I'm angry. Oh. Dude, where are your balls, man? You can't lay down for that shit. You gotta smash that door in and get what is... Tiffy! And the computer lab with Martin Starr, who would eventually be Peter Parker's teacher in the Spider-Man films about ten years later. Hey, man, uh, those dicks in radiation ordered this and then skipped. You want it? Oh, my God, it's you. Sorry, what? I can't believe you actually came. Do we know each other? No. I was in terrible need. You heard my plea, and you came to help me. No, I'm just yes. live. No, listen, shh. You, my friend, are a hero. Don't hide from your power. You mind if I get online for one second? My kingdom is yours. All right, some fun facts. So why did Edward Norton not continue in the series? Norton definitely had his own vision of how he wanted the Hulk series to play out. He was thinking more like Chris Nolan's take on Batman with Christian Bale, a more darker tone. And frankly, as we saw how the MCU played out, none of the Marvel films were very serious and dark like that. And Marvel kind of balked at Norton wanting so much creative control and decided that he was more of a headache that it was worth in the long run and decided to replace him with the more agreeable Mark Ruffalo. And nothing against Ruffalo, he does fine as Bruce Banner, but he's kind of like Chris Evans as Captain America. He's just sort of bland. But they all work as an ensemble player. But look, he's not a star like Robert Downey Jr. or Chris Hemsworth or Chadwick Boseman. Ironically, the director, Louis Le Torre, his first choice was Mark Ruffalo. 
And even though Edward Norton's vision of having kind of the Batman series was was intriguing, I think it could have worked on its own. I don't know if he realized how deep, you know, all these films. I mean, there's like, what, 20 films for this MCU? So I don't think uh, having three Hulk films would have worked. But who knows? I mean, look what, look what Thor turned into. David Duchovny was considered to play Bruce Banner before Edward Norton. Sam Elliott wanted to reprise his role as General Ross because he was in the Ang Lee version, but it was taken by William Hurt, of course. Now, in the comics, the Abomination has pointed ears. Louis Leterre wanted this characteristic to appear in the film, but reasoned that the Holt would just bite him off, kind of like Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield, which was considered too intense for a PG-13 film. All right, we have two great guests. We have Eric Sinzak, who, of course, loves his superhero movies, and then DJ Metal Mike Tyler, who is definitely an expert in comic books and comic book films. Of course, you can hear DJ Metal Mike Tyler on ThatMetalStation.com every Friday night starting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Of course, his partner in crime on that show is Bill Roseberry, who is also often a frequent guest on this show. And I will be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. All right, we're back with longtime guest Eric Sinzak. Welcome back, Eric. Oh, hey, Brian. Thanks for having me back on. Absolutely. And uh, we're going to talk about, because you love your Marvel movies, uh, we're going to talk about the second Marvel movie in the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that is The Incredible Hulk uh, with Ed Norton. Now, did you see the one with Ang Lee that came out, <laughs> I think, a couple years prior to this one? <laughs> yeah, the the Eric Bana Hulk. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I much prefer the Ed Norton Hulk to the, yeah. to the Ang did Lee you- one. Yeah, absolutely. And do you do you think maybe people went were kind of apprehensive to see this version because of that? I think so. Um, probably because it, the first one left a little bit of a bad taste mm-hmm. in a lot of people's mouths. So they when they when they saw oh another Hulk movie, they're like uh, I'm probably they were a little nervous about it. And the premise actually, you know, it's kind of funny when you see the way they kind of did like you know with the whole the girl and her father and the military setup and everything like that. It's sort of like, wow, this is sort of like carbon copy in a little way, (laughs) you know, when you look at it and like, Oh man, but it it, it actually is a great departure from, from that film. I like the way they did it. Yeah, definitely. And so, and then the obvious question is who do you prefer Edward Norton or Mark Ruffalo as the, as Bruce Banner? You know, it's funny. Uh, I like Mark Ruffalo, but if, if I didn't ever see Mark Ruffalo, I would take, Ed Norton because he plays it really well. Yeah. And plus, plus Norton's a huge comic book fan as well. Yeah. Yeah. He he's <laughs> yeah, I, I've seen him on some things before and they ask him some questions. He's he's got a deep knowledge of comics. He's he's pretty good at it. So he he knows a lot. He's a nerd. Yeah, and I think that was part of the contention of why he wanted this film to go a certain way. And I'm not sure. I think him and the producers kind of clash, and that's sort of why he he never came back, which is a shame because he obviously loves um that character so it's it's too bad he didn't uh you know pick up uh where they left off and i don't know if there's ever going to be another uh, a sequel to the hulk or not i haven't heard anything have you i i've heard rumors um but nothing it's like the stuff goes like script gets picked up and people look at it and it goes to like oh we're going to go to development and then it sort of just dies it fizzles but i don't think anyone's ever concrete picked up anything like it's going to like really happen so nobody, it, no, I don't think anybody's ever really said that they're really going to make another one yet. Yeah. And after the Avengers, they, they, you know, that, right. that absolutely never 
really happened. And it's interesting because of all of the Marvel Cinematic characters, this one's kind of forgotten. I mean, like on, as a standalone movie, and which is maybe just because Iron Man's so beloved and and Thor and and all those that they just kind of forget about about the Hulk, which is a, is a shame. Cause I think this is actually a pretty pretty good movie. I, I do love this film. I th- I like it. I don't like it as much as I like a lot of other Marvel mm-hmm. films because I don't think it has a lot of. Um, a lot of fun it's yeah agreed. it's not a lot of, it's not a very fun film no it's it's a it's a little dark um and it's a you know it's it's a little grim but at the same time uh you know there there is some grim stuff in in some marvel films and you know but it's not fun like uh you know guardians of the galaxy or no. ant-man or anything like that but you know this is probably you know and this was back in the early parts of the mcu so mm-hmm. you know that they were still i think finding their feet uh, to a degree. So it was like, you know, we don't really know where we're going with the whole MCU. Yeah. You know, and this, you got to remember before this, when you saw the word Marvel on the yeah. screen before the MCU, you had Blade. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, <laughs> okay, what's coming? Yeah. You had Daredevil and Blade. And you're <laughs> oh, like, Fantastic well, Four. Yeah. Fantastic Four. And you're like, okay. Uh, all right. Let's see what this crapshoot's going to be. But, you know. <laughs> Exactly. And it'd been interesting. You bring up a great point. If the Hulk had come out uh, maybe 10 years later, you know, once the, you know, the universe had already been established, I wonder how how this film would have done or if they would have done it differently, because Thor actually got funnier as as the films came out. Oh, yeah. And especially like Ragnarok when they were like, oh, having, yeah, yeah, I loved Ragnarok. The whole time. I work with him, you know, when they're <laughs> seeing him come out. <laughs> I love that scene. That's one of my favorite scenes and Loki getting all uncomfortable up there. Like, oh, you know, <laughs> Absolutely. That, that's by far my favorite of the of the Thor films. Oh, yeah. Same here. Absolutely. So we'll go through that. What works cast wise for you and what doesn't work? So uh, you have Liv Tyler playing Betty Ross, Tim Roth as uh blonsky and then abomination and then william hurt as uh, uh general ross do you do you dislike or like uh those character choices and those uh, actor choices i always like tim roth in anything he does i've actually oh, yeah. absolutely loved tim roth in almost every film he's ever been in oh, so yeah i can't not watch tim roth play a character so uh even though it seemed a little odd having a, a u.s army officer with a british accent so it yeah. doesn't really <laughs> are you you know if they put him in an sas uniform and said okay this guy is a cross service dude or something like that i would have been like okay that's a little more logical but you know i i'm ex-military so i kind of have to dig at it a little but um so you know that that was the logical i mean i can watch it i can suspend disbelief okay that's fine Mm -hmm. bill hurt as uh you know the as a general played it perfectly i think you know he's rigid and unrelenting during the whole film. Right. I mean, that's, that's what he's supposed to be. And you know, the whole fact that like when he even goes and cleans out his daughter's house, <laughs> you know, and, and like her current boyfriend saying like, you know, I can always tell when someone's lying and he's basically saying, I, I know that you're basically just don't give a shit about her. And he's like, I, I take pride in that. He's pretty much saying, I know even if she dies, you don't care. And right. that's, <laughs> uh, that that whole scene is perfect because it's like it, it pretty much puts a pin in his character it says you're so single-minded that you're if your daughter dies you just don't care and that's yeah. pretty much describes it wraps his character up neatly in one little scene right there Definitely. so 
That was great. I like how they did throw Lou Ferrigno in in the yeah. casting as the guard. I thought that was great and really glad to see him in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, is perfect and he really should be in there. And if people watch, you actually do get to see uh, Bill Bixby in a little part of this too. That's true. Yeah. yeah. He plays, it's, um, oh God, what, what's it called? Um, is it Mike? Well, they show a little clip of him from. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm trying to remember the TV show. Um, I can't, the, the courtship, courtship of Eddie, Eddie's father. Father, yep. yep. There you yep. go. He watched <laughs> that at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was great. I love little nods like that. And of course, they always do it with Stan Lee. And Stan Lee's the one that drinks the, <laughs> the, <laughs> the tainted drink. <laughs> drinks the stuff. And he's like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> And then how did you feel about Liv Tyler? Because that, that's probably the one where I, I don't know if they I don't know. I, I, I think she's fine, but maybe somebody could have been better. I don't know. What do you feel? I like Liv Tyler. Uh, she's never to been a super strong actress mm-hmm. to me, but she did really well in this. She's she did really well in Armageddon. I think that's the two films that I've always thought she did really well in. Mm-hmm. Um, she I mean, emotionally, um, there's a lot of scenes that are very tight with between her and Ed Norton. And I like, you know what? <laughs> she did so well in so many scenes. And she did, you know, she didn't have a, a long acting career, a lot of acting, career, no. you know, a lot of films. But this she had she has some really good scenes in this where she is right there with him and a lot of emotion comes across in several scenes. I was very impressed with a lot of the stuff she does in this film. Yeah, agreed. Okay, so we'll go that you just rewatch this. Was there anything that stood out rewatching it? And also were were there any things uh, in the plot that you would have taken a little differently? The one thing I did like is that they kind of did the um the origin story. They kind of wrapped it up in a little montage in the beginning real quick, which I thought was smart. Yeah, they don't focus on it. They don't make you. It's not laborious. You yeah. don't go through it like you know. Oh, we're gonna spend forty minutes dragging through all this to get you up to speed. Right. You know, they they account on the audience being smart enough to say, okay, this is what happens, and mm-hmm. now we're here. So, yeah. and I, I appreciate that. I think anybody who goes to a comic book film, it's got some, you know, grip on what's going on in a comic book film. Uh, so agreed. That, yep. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Um, as far as, you know, during the plot of everything during the film, I, I like the way they handle this. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't drag even in the quiet times during the film. It's, it keeps you your attention during the whole thing. It's really not, it's not a boring film in no. any part of it. So I was really appreciative of that. Were there any uh, uh, villains uh, that you would have rather seen instead of Abomination? For this particular yeah. film, yeah. you know, this more, I think, was a reintroduction of Hulk. So, no, I don't think so. Okay. I, I wouldn't, I would have rather, because it really, to me, Abomination, it lets, it lets Hulk be Hulk. Yeah, I appreciate Tim Roth playing that character and everything, but this, I think, more focuses on Bruce's story. And I like that because, yeah, he, Abomination's a bad guy. And yeah. I, I, you know, he's going to get he's going to get his and, but I, I appreciate more the fact that they're focusing more on Bruce because I think if we put more of a canon bad guy in there, that's more recognizable. It's people are going to be focusing too much on, on that, you know, on, 
and, and so it's going to pull the story in a, in a direction that I didn't think they wanted to go to. Mm-hmm. So it would, if they were, I think they were planning on making this uh, set up for a sequel, you know, so they could start looking at other characters, you know, down the line. But as this one is, I think they, they did it right because they were just going to focus on the, the origins and grow right. from there. So any final thoughts about this and, and, uh, where would you rank this of of the the recent Marvel characters in the MC universe? Where would you put this film as opposed to others? Well, I don't think this is up there with like Avenger. I mean, with like you know Endgame or anything like that because it's so you know that's such a huge you know piece of filmmaking that they've done. Mm-hmm. Um, For like the singular films, then we'll we'll stick with those. Oh well, yeah. I mean, I would probably put this up there with. Uh, with like, you know, on par with like Ant-Man or probably on par with, you know, uh, you know, you could block it in there with, um, uh, Captain Marvel, Captain and- Marvel. Yeah. yeah. Any of the individual films, mm-hmm. Iron Man. I mean, if you want to, if you want to lock all of them in together, you know, with the individual character films, Thor, or Iron Man, or, you know, Captain America, you know, yep. uh, I would, I would lock it in with any of the individual films. And then if you want to talk, you know, I, just as part of the whole canon of everything and just say this is a standalone for a part of all that. Mm-hmm. So that's how I rank it in there as an equal. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, as always, thank you so much. And you're going to be back on real soon. Oh, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. We are back with DJ Metal Mike Tower. Welcome back, my friend. Hey, how's it going, brother? How you feeling? I'm doing great, and uh, you know it's going to be a good day when we talk comic book movies and comics <laughs> with with, D, with with Metal Mike. And uh, before we talked about Iron Man, and uh, so we'll just keep going through you know the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, so I had asked Eric Sinzak, who also uh, recorded a, a quick interview for for this film. Did you see the Ang Lee version uh, before you saw this version? Yes, I did. Okay, <laughs> how did you feel about that one? I didn't like it at all. Yeah. Um, I thought it took way too many liberties. I thought it was kind of campy in parts. Um, the fact that they had the Hulk keep, I mean, look, the madder he gets, folks, the stronger he gets, not the bigger he gets. They turn him into the fucking jolly green giant, man. I'm like, (laughs) it was just kind of over the top. The fact that they, now some of the bits, they did their homework. Like Bruce had a fucked up childhood in the comics Mm -hmm. and, It's what kind of led to him, because actually there's more than one version of the Hulk in the comics. He's kind of a multiple personality disorder. Right. Um, but that's a lot of history, a lot of lot of history there. But basically, his father was very abusive to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he even murdered his mother right in front of his eyes. Mm. Um, but the shit of him coming back in his life, and they basically turned him into this Marvel villain, one of the Hulk's deadliest enemies. He's also... Uh, cross paths with Thor. Actually, he appeared in Thor's comics before the Hulk, and mm-hmm. that's the Absorbing Man. And he mm-hmm. gave his dad like these Absorbing Man type powers, and it just—I—I I don't know. I—I I thought it fucking piped. I'm just gonna be honest <laughs> with you. I didn't like it at all, man. I was just like, oh my god, you know, like Ainley needs to just stick to fucking martial arts, people right. flying from tree to tree, shit. Leave fucking American comic books alone, bro. So because you don't of know that. what you're doing. So because of that and because of that failure, were you apprehensive going into this film? Not as much. And I'll tell you why. I knew it was still a universal production, but I knew Marvel was very involved with it. I knew 
that Kevin Feige was involved and I was already impressed with Iron Man. There had been, you know, because I'm a fucking geek, man, I had right. known about the buzz about the Incredible Hulk. And it mm -hmm. kind of bummed me out that the movie ended up being, I mean, I know it did pretty, it, it did fairly well at the box office, but I, I it didn't, I think the Ain Lee Hulk hurt that movie's yeah, oh, definitely potential. Absolutely. Um, I think this movie is light years above the Ang Lee Hulk. In fact, to be honest with you, I, it's I think it's one of the best Marvel films, man. I loved it. I thought it was great. And I, I mean, was they did their homework. Yeah, and I was going to ask you that. Where do you think this ranks in the not? <laughs> we leave the Avengers out of it, but just the standalone, uh, you know, the hero films. Hmm, that's a good question. Well, my top three would probably be Captain America: The Winter Soldier would be one. Okay. Iron Man would be two, and Incredible Hulk would be three. Nice. So it's nice. up there. It's up yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, because it's hard because you know you throw in Ant Man, you throw in Black Panther, and Captain Marvel. Hey, say Strange. what you want about yeah. Kevin Feige, man, but I think for him to do what he did, and I remember when Iron Man came out and Feige yeah. was talking about, his, and people laughed. People were yeah. laughing at him. They thought it was a joke. Oh, this is never going to work. A cinematic universe? Are you crazy? And by God, he did it, man. He fucking did it. I mean, now I'm not saying every Marvel film has been perfect, but the thing I got to give Marvel credit for is when they do slip up they correct it they they're very good at course correcting yes absolutely where i don't think dc's movies have been as successful in that course correcting they're getting better now i think honestly with at&t buying them mm -hmm. um i i i like a lot of the creative decisions that dc's doing now um I like the fact that they're letting Zack Snyder complete his Justice League movie. Now they're turning it into a whole other thing with HBO right. Max. It's going to be a miniseries in there. And I, I love that. I love the fact that, you know, it's like, hey, guess what? Because um, this shit's been in comics for years, Brian. You know, the whole multiverse. Marvel's got a multiverse. Right. DC's got a multiverse. They've, you know, they've even had crossovers with each other and stuff. I mean, it's people are smart enough to realize you can have more than one version of Batman or more than one version of any character, you know, That's like right. for this actual movie, they did something I thought really cool. Um, since there was a, a, a Bangley movie before that, you know, the backstory was really quick in like a beginning. Yes. montage. Now, you had mentioned it. There is so much backstory in the original comics, stuff that I had no idea about. So do you think they should have maybe done a different take on, on the Hulk story using some of the comic stuff? Or did you like that they just did I a loved montage? It. I okay. loved it because one of the things that bothers me about um, comic book adaptations sometimes, especially with the iconic characters. Now, other characters like Ghost Rider don't have a problem with them telling an origin story. Ghost Rider's not a household name. Or even, even Iron, Iron Man. Man. Yeah, yes, for exactly. that matter. I mean, look, look, like in the Marvel universe i'm talking the comics universe 616 mm -hmm. yes folks sure. these earths even have numbers <laughs> that's how geeky it gets um tony stark's a big deal mm -hmm. even in the within the marvel cinematic universe the world um but it, to the common people out here iron man was not i knew who iron man was most comic book fans knew who he was but most dudes on the street didn't know who the fuck iron man was they'd been like yeah. oh that black sabbath song they had no fucking clue who tony <laughs> stark <right>. was <laughs> you know but somebody like the hulk he's had a television show uh, mm -hmm. the hulk is an iconic character now granted the origin they did was slightly different in the comic books in the comic books what ended up happening is is he was in an, it was a gamma accident but it was a gamma bomb Right. He was supposed to build this gamma bomb for the government. And General Ross was like really up his ass and um, real dick, you know, mm -hmm. you know, like he is in the movie. Like he is and, in the movie. And, 
and Rick Jones, this young teenager named Rick Jones, who is a, a um, spitting image of Bucky Barnes, you mm. know, character we are all familiar with now, thanks to right. the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And yep. he, he rides out, you know, he, these kids dare him, oh, you won't go out to that testing site. So he takes his hot rod out there. And Bruce sees him, and he tells his assistant to to stop the countdown. Bruce runs out there to save him. Well, the assistant ends up being a uh, spy, mm-hmm. you know, so he doesn't stop the countdown. Bruce pushes Rick into this this like cave or crevice, right? The, but he doesn't get out of the way of the bomb. When the bomb blows, he gets hit with the gamma rays. Right. That's how he becomes the Hulk. Yeah, uh, in the in the sh- in, in in the movie they did it more like the television show, but that's fine. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a gamma ray experiment gone awry. It, right. it doesn't really matter. And I love the fact that they showed his origin right within the the um, credits. Yep. And that's fine. They, they, Zack Snyder did the same thing with Batman v Superman. We don't need to see Batman. We saw that. We saw that with Batman Begins. We don't need to see him train all over again exactly. to be Batman. We know how he, why he's Batman. We know how he became Batman. And it's the same with the Hulk, Spider Man, if I, Superman. Yeah. No more origin stories. Like as yeah, much as I like Man of Steel, we we fucking know Superman's origin, man. Exactly. So exactly. stop it already. Stop. Yep. You know, so yeah, I loved that they did that. I'm right there with you. Great. And and the next obvious question is uh, w- between Ed Norton and Mark Ruffalo, who who who's the Bruce Banner you prefer? Ooh, that's a good question. I think Mark does a great drop job in the other Marvel films. Mm-hmm. Physically, though speaking, I think Edward looks more like Bruce Banner. Right, and a huge comic book fan. Yeah, and 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 I. Uh, I mean, I, I think they're both fine actors, and I think they both did a great job. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, from what I understand, Ed Ed was a big, you know, he's a big comic book fan. So, uh, but yeah, as far as physicality speaking, he looks Ed looks more like Bruce. Mark Ruffalo is just a little too good looking. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just gonna throw it out there. Bruce, you know, that's what's kind of interesting about a lot of Marvel heroes. The DC heroes are like these gods on Olympus, man. Right. The Marvel heroes are characters that are very flawed. Every man. Yeah. Um, tragic. Very tra- And that's the thing. The Hulk is probably, in my opinion, everybody always says Spider-Man's the most hard luck hero. Don't get me wrong. Spidey's had some shitty things happen to him. Yep. But nobody's had shittier luck than the Incredible Hulk. That's Let right. me tell you, dude. Oh, my God. I mean, it, it, it would take too much time for this podcast. Oh, I know. Dude. Yeah, he is. I mean, just the poor guy. When, when things seem like they're going right, they always get fucked up. And one of the things about Marvel I noticed was... It seemed like with, to a lot of the characters, the blessing, the, the powers were as much a, a curse as they were a blessing. Right. You know, um, you know, and I'm not saying one's better than the other. I mean, I think the reason why Stan Lee and his artists did what they did with Marvel, they wanted to go against the grain. They didn't want to be like DC. They wanted to be that's different, right. you know, so, yeah. you know, and that's cool. There's more than enough room for different types of characters, you know. So. Absolutely. And speaking of characters, let's get into the main characters in this film. So, of course, Liv Tyler plays Betty Ross. Tim Roth plays Blonsky, eventually Abomination. And then William Hurt as Ross. How did you feel about those characters, those actors playing those those takes? I those thought characters? they all did a great job. I had okay. no complaints. Um, I thought, I mean, I thought it was a little odd, but they do explain that, well, he's on loan from the Royal Marines because Blonsky's really a Russian in the comics. Right. Neil right? Blonsky was a total Russian. And I get, and, and I I thought at the time, well, like Tim Ross is a good enough actor. He could have done a Russian accent sure. or he could have been American Russian or whatever and, and done an American accent. So it, was, yeah. it kind of surprised me that they went that way. But I, I love Tim Roth. I mean, I've been a fan of his since um, 
uh, uh, oh fuck, uh, Reservoir, Reservoir Dogs. Yep. I, I, you know, I think he's great. I thought he did a tremendous job. Uh, I love the fact that they kind of tied his origin in with the Super Soldier serum because. Emil Blonsky was, a, I think, a Russian agent, if I remember right, in the comics. And he exposes himself to gamma rays on mm, purpose and right. becomes the abomination. The abomination technically is actually stronger than the Hulk right. when the Hulk's at normal levels. thing is, that old saying goes, the matter Hulk gets, the stronger he gets. Mm-hmm. And, and eventually an abomination is going to get his ass beat, you know. Right. Um, but in the in the movie, for the movie's purposes and the stories, tying it in with the Super Soldier program, I loved that. I thought that was a really cool touch. And I mean, come on, William Hurt as General Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross. Yeah. Even though I thought Sam, um, um, oh, what's his name, Sam, uh, you know, in the other one, one. Yes, I love I, that I actor. I yes. love that actor. What's his fucking name? I'm drawing a blank. Sam Elliott. He, Sam Elliott. Yeah. Um, I thought he did a good job as Thunderbolt Ross, too. I mean, yeah. e- either, but the, uh, again, the problem with uh, Ain Lee's Hulk ain't, ain't the actors. It's the, the god-awful the story. story, you know, yeah. and everything. But that's that's neither here nor there. We're, talk, we're here to talk about the good Hulk movie. And then Liv so. Tyler, I, I, that was the one where, she's fine. I just, I thought maybe they could have gone a different direction. Did you, hmm. did you have any problems with her? No, not at all. Okay. Um, no, I, I, you know, I love Liv Tyler, and uh, I mean, I don't know. I would have had to think about who would I have casted as Betty Ross, man. That's a good question. Je- Jennifer Connelly was the one in Ang Lee, right? Yeah, and I thought she was fine too. I exactly. Mean, yeah. It, you know, um, that's a good question. I'm not sure who I would have got to play uh, Betty Ross. Actually, she had the, she had the look. So that, yeah, you know. yeah, and Betty, and Betty. I mean. Um, and that's another thing. I, one of the things I loved about this film was just the little touches they used and things that they, mm-hmm. they, they borrowed from a lot of different comic book stories. Like, you know, him contacting Mr. Blue. Mr. Blue was a character mm-hmm. in the comics. Okay. Even the way he communicated with him. Now, who Mr. Blue ended up turning out to be was a totally different character in the comic books. But that's neither here nor there. Okay. Because that's a character that ended up becoming... He becomes a major Hulk villain. And one of the things that's kind of disappointed me about this is they've never made any more Hulk Hulk movies. Exactly. I, and I think part of the reason why is because I guess this again is one of those situations where Marvel owns the character outright, which is owned by Disney, but they don't own the movie rights. Universal still has those. They let Marvel use the Hulk in the Marvel movies because they're not doing anything with them. Right. Now, from what I understand, they are working on um a Disney Plus series on She-Hulk, and Mark Ruffalo is supposed ah. to appear in that. As the okay. whole, and they're talking about they're gonna ha- they're gonna reintroduce, reintroduce Bo- Abomination, and you will see Sam Stearns because Sam Stearns becomes a villain known as the leader, and the way the gamma okay. rays affect him, Brian, is instead of being super strong, he becomes super intelligent. And ah. his fucking head, you know how his head was all bubbling up when the blood yep. falls on him? Yeah, yep. and he he's a badass man. Sam, well, you could tell Sam wasn't all there, like, oh yeah, I'm here to help you, Bruce, but I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Sure you are. And then he got all pissed off when Bruce was like, hey, man, we got to get rid of this shit. We can't have this. And and then, you know, he was all about. Yeah, he was all about experimenting with the gamma rays, man. You know, so, so yeah, that was that leads to one of, one of my other questions. If if there was a sequel, well, not a sequel, but there was an additional Hulk movie uh, on its own. What would have been the villain that you would have picked after Abomination? I probably would have picked a leader. Okay. Uh, the leader is a very, very deadly villain. I mean, if you go through the comics, he is. He has pulled all kind. Of, he's been a huge thorn in the Hulk side. Uh, but you could have went uh, Absorbing Man again, only used Crusher Creel, the real Absorbing Man. Real. 
you know what I mean? Not real, but you know, no, no, I um, get what you, know, mean. Uh, um, you know, the Hulk's had a lot of, uh, uh, great villains over the years, man. But, um, I would say his, his top ones of, again, the leader, the leader has just been, because he's that villain that they describe in the unbreakable movie. He's okay. the one villain who battles the hero with his mind and he'll have like different henchmen and, 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 you know, the soldier villain that'll go after the hero. You know, he, he's that kind of villain, man. Uh-huh. I mean, let's just put it this way. He did a story where he blew up an, a, a little a, a town, a, a, a major town with a gamma bomb mm. just so he could have gamma irradiated survivors. Ah, yes. Yeah. He's evil. I mean, he's just just he's just a crazy son of a bitch, man. So, you know. <laughs> Um, I would like to see them going, and that's what I'm, I'm hearing Sam Stearns is going to be in the She-Hulk series, so I'm kind of like, oh, cool, man, maybe they're going to pick up on some of these things, you know, because they de- right. they definitely left some Easter eggs there, and then, mm-hmm. you know, they never really went anywhere with it, and I get it, because they're, you know, that's something that would be more with a Hulk movie, uh-huh. or a Hulk series, I mean, as much as I like the Marvel films, and even the DC films, I'm kind of looking more forward to the, like, the the Falcon and the Winter Soldier and and I would like to see them do more television series because I think it works better with comic books because yes. comic books is a continuing story it's a serial um, there's only so That's much right. you can do in a film you know yeah yeah I mean as great as a lot of those movies a, are but yeah otherwise you're gonna have the five hour marathons like the last you know Avenger movies and and well, those are right. fine but but yeah the series I think it lends itself better to that. Totally, totally, yeah. man. And, and and television isn't what it used to be, as we no. all know. No, now it's uh, all binge Yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely dug... Uh, I, I Like I said, I love the movie. I even love the little touches, like when... Oh, and here's another Easter egg. The, the guy that sure. Betty's dating, he right. ends up eventually being gamma-radiated. Did you uh, know that? No, I didn't. See, this is, this is what? why I have you on. Okay, Leonard Sampson. Doc uh-huh. Sampson. And he's just like Sampson from the Bible. The longer his hair is, the stronger he is. He has green hair, kind of cheese dick, really, but mm-hmm. that's Silver Age comics for you. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. uh, he, uh, he, if he cuts his hair, he's not as strong, so he has to have long hair, and, and he's gamma irradiated strong. And he's actually a psychiatrist, man, and and he becomes pretty good, kind of a a frenemy of the Hulk in a way. I mean, they're they're friends, but. There have been times where they've been at odds, too. But, I mean, Leonard's got a good heart. He's a good dude. Obviously, they portrayed that in the film, like when he kind of calls General Ross out on his bullshit. Her safety is my most paramount concern. And he's like, you know, I take it a professional point of pride to know when people are lying. That's right. And you're lying to me right now. And And it was like. And he's played yeah. by uh, Ty Burrell, of course. People know from from Modern Family playing uh, Phil. So yeah, 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 yeah. Very cool. That it was really cool. I mean, and I and and a cool character, man. So again, it's like, oh, well, that would be cool. I'd like to see them do something further with him sure. as well. So uh, you know, yeah, it was just a little. I mean, like I'm such a geek, dude. If the college students that filmed the fight with the military on the college campus, right? Um, Jack McGee, that's the reporter from the TV show. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I remember. Please remember, Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Yeah. And then Jim right. Wilson, believe it or not, is the nephew of Sam Wilson, the Falcon. Oh. And he was a he was a sidekick of the Hulk for a while in the comics. So, you know, us us geeks, we oh, oh, okay, cool. You know, so And then and go. then for the like the top level geeks, it was nice that they of course had Lou Frigno in there, you know, it was yes. the original oh, yes. T V Hulk. Yeah. So that was yeah. a nice playing the security guard. And of course, Stan, you know, he's the one that drinks the, the juice that's oh. been contaminated. That was great. 
So great. So you just but, rewatched it. Oh, yeah. Go yes, ahead. I did. Uh, but one of the things I was going to say, though, is one of the scenes where, again, you can just tell they did their homework. I mean, it's literally taken from a panel of mm-hmm. a Hulk comic. And it's when Bruce accidentally sees her at, ironically enough, Stan's restaurant. Mm-hmm. You know, she's with Dr. Sampson, you know, right. uh, Professor Sampson. And uh, he, he sees her by accident and he runs out. And then when she goes and he's hiding behind the dumpster, that's literally taken from an actual Hulk story. That whole panel, that picture, mm-hmm. you know, where Betty's looking for him and he's hiding from her. And I was like, oh, very, very cool, man. You know, I, 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 I like little things like that. Absolutely. And that's that's why I think this this movie doesn't get, an, I think, enough love because it really does. It is for the comic book fan, not, you know, not exclusively just for the people no. that like, like you, but um yeah, I think those touches really make a big difference, I, I think, in, in films like that, oh, because it doesn't sure. harm anything for the casual viewer. They're not going to they're not going to see, you know, that connection. Exactly. They'll still enjoy it. But then for someone like you, you're like, right on. I'm, uh, that's super cool. Right. And that's the thing to me. I've always said that because I remember back in the day when there would be certain adaptations I didn't like and, they, and I'd have people defend it. Well, people have to be entertained. You can entertain people and still be somewhat faithful to the source material. Exactly. You know. Exactly. Yeah, it's like Bohemian Rhapsody. You know, the timeline is just all over the place for that. And and oh, yeah. this would be like, well, we had to have this and that. I'm like, you could have got it right. The casual viewer wouldn't have cared if you didn't have Freddie Mercury with a mustache when he's writing We Will Rock You. But the rest of us nerds that know, like, uh, yeah, he didn't look like that. That's totally off. You could have well, got the, that the right. The year was off. I mean, oh, they, totally. they had him do it like, what, early 80s or some shit? Yeah, like, it was like, what? Like, you know, it was the I game mean, it's when still a good film. Yeah. I still enjoyed it. I think totally. Bohemian, and I thought Remy Malik was amazing. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's just stuff like that. It's like, is it really that hard to get it right? Especially when you go to all the trouble of recreating the US Festival, almost like frame for frame. Exactly. So you go to that detail. You, you use that minute. Yeah. Oh, live aid. Live aid. Yeah. Yeah. Live aid. What did I call it? US Festival. You were close. US Festival. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. Live aid. Um, yeah. Uh, when you do that. You know, if you're going to go to the trouble of doing all that, why is it so hard to fucking get the timeline right? I I don't I don't I mean, the the whole idea is biopic emphasis on bio. Yep. I don't I you know, again, it it didn't ruin the movie for me. Not at all. Not at all. But but it was like, well, why can't you just it's like a buddy of mine. He's, uh, you know, my my buddy, Eric Waters, I told you about the Mopar man. He hates it when he'll see car movies where they just. They'll just do shit that that's just physically fucking, not just physically, but um, what's the word I'm looking for? Scientifically Technical. impossible. Yeah, Technically exactly. impossible. And yep. only that, they'll have shit that's just jacked up, man. It's like, dude, guys, do your research. If you're going to have a, a a movie that's got Mopars in it or Fords in it or shit or whatever it is, yeah, get it right. Like he he actually gave props to uh, Tom Cruise's War of the Worlds because remember he's got that mm-hmm. huge engine on his, and Eric goes, "That's a Ford right. engine." Like, whoever did that knew what they were doing. They didn't just throw a fucking Dodge or a Chevy engine on there. They they <laughs> threw a, you know, and, and Eric, yeah. you know, he appreciates that, you know, just that little detail. It's like, yeah, you know, it's like, is it too much to ask, mm-hmm. you know? Well, especially with the internet, anything can be researched. I mean, like, people will yeah. go off on this little stuff. So way back when, I understand you had a budget, and you get, you know, most people right. thought there was never going to be, like, you know, home video or things like that. So I get why they wouldn't necessarily, go through all of the the technical steps to get it perfect but nowadays there's almost no excuse because oh man these fanboys they don't let nothing slide by man especially in comic book movies yeah 
Yep. So, I mean, and I, I, I mean, I guess I'm kind of one of them, but I, sometimes I do think people take it too far. It's like, look, man, um, I mean, I remember people bitching to me about the X-Men movie, like, well, you know, the original X-Men were these guys. I'm like, yeah, dude, but nobody wants to see those guys. Not to be right. a dick, but they want to see Wolverine. They want to see Colossus and Storm. Yep. They want yep. to see that X-Men. They don't want to see the original X-Men, you know? And and I, again, like I said, when you're doing dealing with movies, you can't do 60, 70, 80 years of comic book continuity in a fucking two-hour movie. It's not. That's right. It's just not going to happen, folks. And so besides... For- yeah, Even in the comic books, they revamp these characters all Absolutely. the time. That's why they got these multiple Earths. That's how they explain it, you know. For this particular movie, and we'll wrap up with this question. Sure. Um, is there any action? Is there anything that you would have added, not necessarily subtracted, but added to this film um, for you personally that, that would have made it a little bit more interesting, or just you know a nuance that that would have been super cool if they had added? Man, I don't know. That's an excellent fucking question, there, Brian. That's a really really good question. <laughs> That's um, what I'm here for. Yeah, that's a damn good question. I don't know. I'd have to. I mean, they they pretty much get the spirit of the Hulk right, you know. Okay. Uh, in my opinion, I mean, the fact that he's on the run, he's alone, mm-hmm. um, especially at that point in his life, man. Always, you know. I mean, it's one thing. It's it's as flawed as the television show was. They always got, and I loved how they had that little musical interlude where he's yes. lost. And you hear the dun 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 that yeah. music, which was very haunting. I still think beautiful music, man. I don't know who wrote that, mm-hmm. but that theme, I think, stay. Terrific. It, I mean, it's, yeah. Um, so that's a good question, man. Um, you don't want too many villains. They had the abomination, of course. They have the leader. He hasn't become the leader yet. You got Thunderbolt Ross. Would there have been like something that the Hulk did in the comics, whether it be a skill or or maybe something Banner had in his research, like anything like that? Well, that's that's the thing. Even a lot of the things he's doing in the movie, like Mm -hmm. you know, trying to find a cure, uh, you know, always being one step ahead of the government. Because Bruce Banner is brilliant. They they got it right. I mean, they. I don't see how anybody who's a Hulk fan, and you gotta understand, man, I'm a big Hulk fan. He's probably my number two Marvel guy. Okay, wow. Okay. You know, I love the Hulk. Always after, have. So after Spider, after Spider Man, after Spider Man, yeah, okay. Spidey's yep. number one, Hulk's number two. When it comes to DC, it would be Batman, and then probably Superman. But I love them all. I love them all, man. Oh, I know. I mean, you know, they're all great in my opinion. So my father always used to tell me, "There's no bad characters, just bad writing." Absolutely. He would always tell me that. He would always yeah. tell me that. He's like, any comic book character, any character can be uh, – like, for instance, you know, a lot of people have problems, and I don't want to get off on a tangent here, so I'll make it quick. But sure. some people have a problem with the Star Wars sequel pr- trilogy, and part of it's mm. the characters, and part of it's because there's no character development. That's In my right. opinion, man, it's like, you know, I, I, they had potential. They had enormous potential. I mean, you got Finn, a, a stormtrooper with a crisis of conscience. Are you yeah. fucking kidding me? That's awesome, man. Yeah. But they don't do anything with him. Yeah. And then they introduce Captain Phasma, who's this badass-looking chick in the silver armor. They don't do anything with her. It's just <laughs> like, I, I don't get it, man. I don't get it. But that's a whole other fucking episode well you got a, a mini a mini meltdown for metal mike tyler yeah if you just want a little to, one man and if you want the full dj metal mike meltdowns always tune in every friday night at 8 p.m eastern time on thatmetalstation.com and mike wheels off on everything not just metal music but he might no, talk sir. comic books one night and that's why it's so much fun and or as the always pod challenge Oh, the Tide Pod Challenge. Uh, <laughs> Tune or, in. 
that, or that metal before station. I interrupt you, also yeah, make go sure ahead. you check out me and Bushy on the plug. I definitely go on lots of meltdowns on definitely. that. Yep. And uh, my Monday show too, Monday Morning Madness with That's right. Mike. So always on thatmetalstation.com. But yeah, definitely check out the plug with uh, Nate Atchison, the big bushy, and and now his new co-host, Metal Mike Tyler. So as always, thank you so much, Mike, for joining us. You are us. quite welcome, uh, Mr. Davis. And also, I know it's probably pointless to me to do this, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Make <laughs> sure you check out the bad beat every there Wednesday on that metal station from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, folks. He puts Absolutely. on a hell of a show. And I'm gonna put I'm gonna play the uh, the promo right after this. Awesome sauce, man. <laughs> cool. Anyway, man, Brian, it's been an honor to have me on, and we'll definitely have to do it again. Stay metal, my friend. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on thatmetalstation.com.